You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. All right. Praise the Lord. You guys ready for the Word? You ready to get in the Scriptures? Hey, we are in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. It is getting good. We're coming up on Goliath in the next chapter. But don't worry, I'm going to leave you hanging for like five weeks before we get there. (laughs) No, just kidding. All right, you guys ready to pray? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for just all that you're doing, Lord God. We trust you in every way, God. We surrender ourselves to you. We, we trust that, Lord, you're going to lead, guide, and direct us, Lord, every step that we take. Thank you for the word tonight. We pray that you would minister to us through the scriptures, Lord God. Um, oh, how we need you, Lord. Lord, we understand that this word is spiritually discerned. And so, God, Holy Spirit, speak to us now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. First Samuel chapter 16. You might remember last week that uh, Saul had been rejected as king. And there was this really, really heated moment between Samuel and Saul as Samuel said, you've been rejected. And Samuel went to walk away. And, and then Saul went and grabbed his robe and and tore it as Samuel was seeking to get away. And Samuel said, just have you you torn this robe? The Lord has torn your kingdom from you. So very serious moment. Samuel took no pleasure in this. We talked about how God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. It gives him no pleasure. And so Samuel had no pleasure in implementing this discipline either. Remember that Saul was like an apprentice to Samuel. Samuel really, you know, wrote the the royal etiquette for Saul and trained him up and was his spiritual mentor through that whole time of transition. And now to see Saul just moving away from God and the things of God, it really broke Samuel's heart. And so that is where we are now in verse 1 of chapter 16. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Notice that Saul was rejected from reigning over Israel. He was not rejected for being an Israelite. He is one of God's people. He is one of God's chosen people, but he has been disqualified from the position of king. There is a time to move on. Remember, Samuel here is continuing to mourn for Saul, and that's okay, and that's appropriate. But there's a time where we no longer mourn, but we move forward. We move out of that. We move into a place of joy. And this is God's heart and will for all of us when we go through tough things, when we go through loss, whether it be a a person, a a, a position, uh, whatever it be, you know, moving away to an unfamiliar place, all of these things can be very painful and difficult. 
But God says, okay, it's time to stop mourning and it's time to step into action and to do the next thing. And so he says, he gives Samuel this command, fill your horn with oil and go. Now this had to be encouraging for Samuel because Samuel would know exactly what that meant. To fill his horn with oil means it's go, it's time for you to find out who that next king is going to be, who that person is that God spoke about when he rejected Saul and he said, hey, there's somebody else who's going to have this anointing. So he says, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Now, Jesse from Bethlehem would be the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. Remember the story of Ruth and Boaz? We just covered the book of Ruth recently. And so he's the grandson of them, making David the great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz. So he says to a fill your horn, go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. This is a super exciting sentence to me that God has provided himself a king among his sons. Now, on the surface here, it's David, right? He's provided for himself a king. King David would be his chosen king among the sons of Jesse. Now, remember that Saul was also chosen as king, but he was He was chosen by God because of the desire that the people had for a king. They were rejecting the kingship and the lordship of God, and they were saying, we want a human king, a worldly king. So God provided them the worldly king they wanted. It was the tall, handsome Gaston who was chosen for them. And so he came in and was so handsome, so strong, and such a warrior-like person hiding in the baggage that they were excited anyway uh, for him to be king. Now, David, on the other hand, is not going to be that. He's going to be different. More on that in a minute. But I love this because when God says, I have provided myself a king among his sons, you can kind of read that in a different way, can't you? God has provided himself as a king among the sons or the descendants of Jesse. Who am I referring to? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God become flesh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The son of, Jess, the son of David, remember? In the scriptures, the people would say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because they knew he was a descendant of David and he would be the ultimate king that was foreshadowed by King David and his glorious reign. So when we think of David, we think of him as a type of Christ. He was not Christ because he failed and he failed big time and Christ never did. He was perfect without sin and is deserving of kingship. Verse 2, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. 
you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. And so Samuel was a little bit scared here, thinking that Saul might kill him. You know, after all, Saul was, got real angry and grabbed his robe and everything, so that's understandable. But the Lord says, no, go have a sacrifice. Now, the sacrifice then would be a feast. We've talked about this before. If it were a sin offering to the Lord, it would have to be a whole burnt offering. The entire sacrifice would be burnt up. But as a peace offering or a fellowship offering to the Lord, part of it gets burnt up and the other part gets feasted upon and it's fellowship with God. So this would be a feast that all the people would be invited to and they would sacrifice to the Lord for for fellowship, for a peace offering. It's like a potluck for us, friends. <laughs> it's like the summer nights where there's yummy desserts and everything. You're having fellowship with God and you're having fellowship with one another. And so Samuel then is going to go to Bethlehem in, in obedience to the Lord. And, but God says here in verse 3 to invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. This is how God works. He gives us the first step. He says, here's your first step, but I'm not going to show you what's beyond that. I'm going to show you as you go. And our flesh, how many people are planners out there? You're a planner. Okay, we got one, two. Okay, no wonder things don't happen around here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so if you're a planner, right, your flesh screams out with, uh, here, here's your step. Okay, what's next? Don't worry, I'll tell you when you get to that first step. And, and you just, God shows you as you go. And so that's what he's saying to Samuel. We see this so many times in the scriptures. And God wants us to be led in this way. He wants to, us to walk by faith and not by sight. To trust him as we go. That trust pleases him. It pleases him despite the dangers despite the lack of resources, despite it all, as we step out in faith and say, I'm trusting you, God, to provide and to protect as I go, that I'm not going to go any further and fall off this stage right now. <laughs> you know, I'm trusting you, Lord. And, and so this is how God has intended it, that faith pleases him. Romans 8, 14, it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Are we to be children of God? Yes. And to be children of God, we need to be led by the Spirit of God. And this is how his leading works. Proverbs 9, I mean 16, 9 says, a man's heart plans his way. So it's good to be a planner and to have plans. But when we write those plans down, we always write them in pencil and we hand God the big eraser. And, and so that he can change those things up and we have flexibility. Abraham, in Genesis 12, 1, Abraham, you remember, was told just to go. Imagine getting this order. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. He doesn't even tell him where he's going. He just says, leave, go. And then, step by step, he shows him what the next move is, where you're to go next. Okay, I'm here, Lord. I'm here. I, I did it. I was obedient. Now what? And in his time and in his way, he'll give the next instruction. And again, our flesh screams against this. 
It's very uncomfortable in our flesh, and that's why we lift our hands to God and we worship Him. We cry out to Him and we get filled with His Holy Spirit, and then the peace comes and the confidence comes, and we get really happy, and we don't worry about alarms going off and anything like that. So, step by step, He leads us. All right, verse 4. Let's go to verse 4. It says, so Samuel did what the Lord said. I can't keep reading without commenting on that. Samuel did what the Lord said. Can this be said of you and of me? Pastor James did what the Lord said. I hope so. I hope I can. And more and more and more. Amen? So Samuel did what the Lord said. He listened to the instruction of God and he went to Bethlehem. You can't miss this, right? Bethlehem is where Jesus was born. So King David, also born and raised in Bethlehem. Although Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was raised in Nazareth, but same birthplace. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? If you knew that this guy just hacked up a king (laughs) with a sword, we might be a little worried too that he was coming, you know, to us. In verse 5, he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, set yourselves apart, and come with me to the sacrifice. It says, then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So this idea of being sanctified, set apart, and consecrated for the sacrifice was that that they would have a ritual cleansing. They would clean themselves up. They would wash their clothes. And and so it was this ritual ceremonial cleansing that reminds us of baptism, right? And then they would go to the sacrifice clean before the Lord, clean to sacrifice. Um, This is important as we get into this a little bit Later, Verse 6, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Whoa, this guy, he's tall, he's handsome, he's warrior-like. Wait, I'm having deja vu. (laughs) This is Saul all over again. We're looking at the outward appearance. And here's God's response to Samuel. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. Now, it's interesting wording here. It's, it's, I mean, in the English here, it's a pretty negative connotation. I have refused him. He could have said, oh, I haven't chosen him. This guy wasn't my first pick. You know, there's like lighter ways to say it. But perhaps there's something in Eliab here in his heart that God does not approve of. And he's saying, look, yeah, he looks great on the outside, but on the inside, there's a problem. And Samuel, I don't look at the outside. The big muscles don't matter to me. The really smart, intelligent person, no, that's not the most important thing. God looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. Guys, we have the same inclination that Samuel has. We look 
on the outside as our first inclination, our knee-jerk reaction. We start to size up the person. What are they wearing? What kind of outward clues can I get that they're qualified to do this? And God is saying, resist that natural fleshly inclination and seek me because I know the heart. And I will raise up someone with the right heart. So pray, pray, hear from God. And let, as you're facing a decision in your, in your life about these things, Man, step back and, oh, this looks good on the surface. Looks just good from the outside. Maybe it's a job position that you're looking towards, and it's got this, it's got the great pay, and it's got, you know, um, all the benefits, and I, I get an iPhone and an iPad or whatever, you know, <laughs> all the special things, and it looks good on the outside, but then we step back and say, well, wait a second. What does God say? Maybe God's calling me to something different, something that the world might not esteem so highly, but that God is saying, but that's where I want you. And so we've got to step back and hear from God like Samuel is hearing from God, right? He's listening to the Lord in the moment. And God speaks and says, I look at the heart and Eliab is not the one. If you've ever seen the first Captain America, they're looking for a super soldier and they chose a physically weak and scrawny man, Steve Rogers not because of his physical strength. He was getting beat up all the time, but because of the strength of his character. He was patriotic. He was self-sacrificing. He was steadfast and unrelenting and brave. Even with his scrawny body, he would face off to someone. So that's who they chose to inject with the serum and become the super soldier. And if you haven't seen it, you're all wondering and you want to watch it now. It's on Disney+. Plus. It's up to you, but... 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says this, for you see, oh, you can actually turn there. Let's take a moment and turn in the scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26, it says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. And we are going to see in David a heart of worship, giving glory to God. And that no matter how much praise he gets from men, he always credits the Lord. And we're going to see in Christ this perfectly. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, always giving glory to the Heavenly Father for all things. As Jesus was the perfect example of this, leaving his incredible divine position, not his divine nature, but his divine position to come to earth and to walk the earth as a human being, 
That was the ultimate act of humility, and it gave God great glory as Jesus surrendered himself and was obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. So, verse 8. We're back in 1 Samuel now. Chapter 16, verse 8, it says, So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest. Oh, the youngest. The runt. The little guy. Man, remember back then it was the firstborn that gets everything. But we've seen from the scripture that God, well, he doesn't always work that way, does he? Look at Jacob and Esau. Jacob got the blessing, being the younger anyway, catching the heel of Esau as they came out. Ephraim and Manasseh, they were brought to be blessed. Um, Joseph brought his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to be blessed by Jacob before he died. And the oldest was to be at the, at the right hand, Manasseh. But what did Jacob do? He, whoosh, he pulled the old switcheroo and he put his right hand on Ephraim and blessed Ephraim as as the oldest, even though he was the youngest. And so here David is being chosen by God, the youngest of all these brothers, not even present with them, not even invited to the feast, not even mentioned by name when asked, do you have another? Oh yeah, there's the youngest. Instead of, oh yeah, my son, David, David. No, it was like, dad didn't even seem proud of him. He was like the Cinderella man. And there he is keeping the sheep. He's out there with the sheep. That's the servant's job, by the way. Perhaps they didn't inherit all the money from Boaz and Ruth. But there he was tending the sheep. He was the shepherd boy. Seems to be the Hebrew requisite for leadership. Abraham, right? He was a shepherd guy. Isaac. Jacob, Moses spent 40 years tending sheep in the wilderness before saying, let my people go. Saul, and now David. David Gusick mentioned some things about this. I'll summarize. As a shepherd, David would be able to spend time in creation to think, to ponder God and his creation and worship him for it. To be able to be out there under the stars with the sheep, writing songs and playing his harp. Man, I started tearing up. I was thinking of that as we were worshiping today. Just thinking of David on his harp. Audience of one, God. That's all that mattered. God. Didn't matter that he wasn't sitting in front of a bunch of people who were clapping their hands and doing this. Didn't matter to him. He's got his sheep and he's got God. And he's going to worship the Lord. You know how much that thrilled the heart of God? That thrilled the heart of God. Good friend of mine, Steve Polatsky, who was a co-teacher at Calvary Chapel Anaheim, 
and then actually uh, was the worship leader at Calvary Chapel Open Door for several years, was called up north to Washington, and he was involved in church and things like that, but, um, but then he had to step away from worship because of some physical things that were happening with him, and he got another job, and he was cleaning out these uh, rentals um, they were like RV rentals, and he's cleaning them out, and he hadn't picked up his guitar in a long time, and uh, because, you know, there's no one to lead in worship, but then as he was cleaning it out, he saw in this RV a pick, and it, he looked, and it was his favorite kind of pick, and the, he said, man, the Lord was speaking to me. You pick up your guitar, and you worship me. You don't need an audience. You're worshiping me, me, amen, amen. Guys, God doesn't care if you're up here or down there when you worship him. We want worship leaders who can care less if they're up here or down there when they worship him. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.